everybody. Welcome to Fully Puffed, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Grace, and I'm here with my co-host, Evo. Hello. And we are talking today about season one, episode 14, That Damn Donna Reed. Oh. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we have some hot takes about this episode, and I think it'll be maybe not a fun one to watch, but a fun one to discuss. I think a friend, I just need to make my thoughts known and say that I absolutely hate this episode. There's probably one or two redeeming qualities for this episode for me. Otherwise, I ugh, it takes every, like every fiber of my being to get through it. I don't like this episode, but I think that there are m- more things that I like about it than you like about it. I like the Luke and Lorelai stuff. I think the dialogue is really great, and you can really tell that it's written by Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino. But I'm constantly thinking about, when I watch this, whether my utter hatred for the resolution of the Donna Reed plot overtakes and cancels out all the things I like about it, and I'm conflicted about that, as we will discuss. So let's pop into it. We're going to start with an episode summary. So the episode begins with Rory and Lorelai watching something called The Donna Reed Show, which was a real black and white sitcom about a housewife that ran in the 50s and 60s. And then Dean comes over and brings them takeout. Rory and Lorelai mock the ridiculous amount of food the Donna Reed cooks for her family and her over-medicated everything's perfect attitude. Dean, however, who has never seen the show before, reveals that he kind of finds the concept, specifically the idea of a wife cooking dinner for her family, sort of nice. Rory and Lorelai are shocked, and we sense some tension between him and Rory. The next day, Rory and Lorelai go to Luke's diner, and Lorelai suggests to Luke that the place needs a paint job. Taylor tells Lorelai that Luke will never paint the place and that he's been trying to get him to do it for years, but after Lorelai tells Luke that she'll help him with the paint job, Luke agrees. A day or so after that, Lorelai and Rory are at their house when Babette, our favorite ancillary Gilmore Girls character so far, comes in. She tells the Gilmore Girls that Mari's band got a last-minute gig in New York, and when she asks Rory to house-sit and watch her new kitten for the night, Rory agrees. We next see Rory getting off the bus from Chilton, carrying a baby chick that she has to spend the next month observing for a school project. Dean meets her there, and their conversation turns into an argument when he brings up Donna Reed again. When Dean tells her that his mom cooked dinner for his family every night, Rory insists that his mom had a choice, and that Donna Reed and the millions of real women she represented didn't. Dean suggests that Rory is only so opposed to all of this because Lorelai is too, and Rory is furious. Their fight ends there, though, because Dean has to go to work at Dozie's. That night, Lorelai goes over to the diner to help Luke pick out paint colors, and he tells her about how much his dad loved the place and how he always wanted to work there, and explains his decision to turn it from a hardware store into a diner. They have some bonding moments, and it actually seems like they're about to kiss when the townsfolk show up to try to take pictures of Luke painting the diner. Just after that, there's another almost kiss moment, but Lorelai then excuses herself and says she should go home. When she gets home, though, she finds that the chick Rory brought home for the school project has escaped and is flying around the house. Lorelai can't catch her, and in her panic, she calls Luke to come and help. When Luke arrives, he sees the chick, and he comments that Lorelai really does have a chick loose in here. Lorelai is confused by the comment, and later she asks Luke to explain what he meant. He gets really awkward, but before she can press the issue, they have another chick sighting and have to look for her again. Meanwhile, over at Babette, Rory has decided to have an 
interesting response to her <laughs> fight with Dean. She goes to get a CD from Lane, and when Dean arrives at Babette's, she greets him wearing none other than a 50s-style dress, heels, and pearls. She's also cleaned that house, which I will add she does not live in, and <laughs> has cooked dinner for him. And when he asks what's going on, she says it's Donna Reed night. He's really happy that she made him dinner, but after they eat, he tells her that he doesn't expect anything like that from her, and that he's happy with her just the way she is. Rory says that she knows that, but she also did some research on Donna Reed, and found out that she was actually in, and I emphasize this, <laughs> uncredited director and uncredited producer on her show, which made her one of the first female TV executives, if you don't think about it too hard. She also reveals that she had fun doing all of this, and that she might do it again someday. All of this is broken up, however, when Dean goes to take the trash out and sees who but Luke, who's doing the exact same thing. Dean asks him what he's doing there, and when Luke tells him that he's looking for a chick, Dean points out that that sounds ridiculous. Lorelai and Rory then come out, and Lorelai thinks that Rory's whole getup also is ridiculous. <laughs> the men excuse themselves, and then when Rory goes back to Babette's, she can't find the kitten, and she and Lorelai have to use the rest of the night looking for her. And so the next day, Lorelai tells Suki about the missing chick, and winds up revealing that Luke was there. She mentioned how weird she found Luke's comments about there really being a loose chick in the house, and Suki points out that it sounded like she was trying to make an excuse that would get Luke to come over to see her. Suki asks why Lorelai called Luke of all people, and Lorelai says they were just picking out paint samples together. And Suki comments that the painting project was, after all, Lorelai's idea. Lorelai gets defensive and leaves, and we have another version of the same conversation at Friday night dinner. When Emily hears the chick story and that Luke was there, she corners Lorelai and asks her to be honest with her and tell her whether she has feelings for Luke. Lorelai says she doesn't know and that she might. And then the next day, we see Luke and Lorelai bringing paint cans into the diner and setting up a time to paint for this coming Friday night. It seems like this is where the episode <laughs> is going to end, but then a motorcycle rolls up. Its driver, who is very mysterious and wearing a helmet, <laughs> calls out to Lorelai to take her top off. And when oh Lorelai God. sees him, he takes off his helmet, and it's Christopher, Rory's dad. Rory's thrilled to see him, but Lorelai isn't, and he tells them that he stopped by to visit on his way to see his parents. Rory asks if he can stay with them, and Lorelai only reluctantly agrees. And the episode ends with Rory riding off with Christopher on his motorcycle and Lorelai watching them go. So we have our first big cliffhanger ending of Gilmore Girls. Catherine's not here, and we miss her very much, so I will very quickly do the director-writer production notes. It's directed by Michael Kiedelman, but more notably, it's written by Amy Sherman Palladino and her husband, Dan Palladino. And I think we can definitely see that by the quality of the dialogue. Yeah, this dialogue is very quippy. Yeah, it, 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 it feels... I mean, this is something I say all the time, but it feels classic Gilmore Girls. Yeah, this is like a good ep like a good example. <laughs> this is not a good episode, but this is a good example of the writing style and the pacing that comes to be sort of like a trademark of the show. Yeah, and something I want to talk about too is like how it can both be a good example of Gilmore Girls and a good example of a lot of what we enjoy about like how the show feels and sounds, but also an episode that's like deeply uncomfortable mm -hmm. and I think doesn't to me, feel very much like the 
underlying politics of the rest of the show. Yeah, agree. It's like the sentences are good, but the pages are not. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Like on a prose level, definitely works. On an acting level, maybe. That's your, yeah. we'll get into that. Get into that. But on, on the whole, there's just something odd going on here. It yeah. just makes me cringe the whole oh, time. When Rory comes out in the little pastel is it, would you say it's pastel? It's like peach. The peach full skirt and the little heels and it's just. The freaking pearls. The pearls. Where did she get those? They're probably fake. Yeah, that's Patty. fair. Yeah, the, the dress is from Miss Patty. When she comes out, the episode takes a turn. Also, like, what was that? Rory goes to Miss Patty and is like, hey, <laughs> you got anything that Donna Reed would wear? Like, what was that interaction like? I think that's a deleted scene that we deserve on the show. Like, yes. I would, remember I said a couple weeks ago that, like, I would pay for extra scenes that, like, didn't this exist? This is one. This is one, and I feel like Miss Patty would have some fun stuff to say. Yes, and probably trying to dissuade her. Yes. Given what we know about Miss Patty and her many husbands and her pretty, you know, loose sexual politics. <laughs> I think Miss Patty is not a Donna Reed, and we applaud no. her for that. Yeah, it's it's a weird freaking episode. It's a weird episode. So, should we start with the cold open? Yeah, let's just dive on in. Let's we do. go. So, the episode opens with a classic Gilmore Girls setup. We see Lorelai and Rory and their clown pillow watching TV, and Dean comes over with a lot of takeout. I did not note the clown pillow again, which proves that I am a bad viewer. Yes, it was on the couch on the side that Rory's sitting on, and it was only visible. There was, like, a shot from sort of the, like, kitchen doorway area, and then you could see the clown pillow. I like the idea of the clown pillow as sort of, like, a third Gilmore girl that's always present in the TV-watching scenes, but, like, never speaks. I'm on clown watch. Dean is the real clown in this scene. hey Dean and his salad. (laughs) Yeah, they're very opposed to Dean coming over with a salad, which, like, I'm just opposed to everything Dean does, so I'm fine with that. I know. This is also the scene from our podcast cover art with Lorelai wearing her heavy metal rules shirt, which is definitive proof that Lorelai is a metalhead. Do you really think that she's a metalhead, though? I don't know. I know Catherine has a lot of thoughts on this, so I don't want to step on her tail here, but I think that feels more like season one Lorelai characterization. Yeah, especially, like, I just think about, I forget what season it is. Maybe it's four, four or five. When Lorelai shows up to a Friday night dinner before Rory's there, and she is basically <laughs> shadow dancing in her car. That's like, such a funny scene. <laughs> oh, I was just looking for my lip gloss. Oh my god. Does that feel more authentically yes. Lorelai to you? I think so. Like, 80s one-hit wonders. Yeah. And I think that goes better with, like, the bangle stuff and yeah. later things we learned about Lorelai's musical taste, too. I think, for me, Lorelai's metal obsession goes kind of in the same vein as Lorelai's inexplicable motorcycle knowledge in this episode, as we see, is more of, like, a characterization that goes a little too hard towards, like, Lorelai's a cool, edgy guy's girl, and that's not the Lorelai we ever come to know. Well, I feel like Lorelai as a teenager is probably really into men with motorcycles. That's fair. But enough to be keeping up with the specific make and model of motorcycles 16 yeah, years later. absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, that's like one of my least favorite parts of this episode. In an episode that has a lot has of, a lot of, a lot of least parts. favorite parts. We do soon learn that, as we said in the intro, Lorelai and Rory are watching the Donna Reed show. We get one of the most quoted lines from Gilmore Girls. Dean says, so it's a show. And they say, it's a lifestyle. It's a religion which, of course, people used to refer to Gilmore Girls. There's a lot of Edson Marks that have that on. 
There's a lot of Etsy merch. Do you have any Gilmore Girls Etsy merch, Eva? We have a Luke Steiner sweatshirt that is like I technically bought off of Etsy, but yeah. it just has the Luke's logo on it. I actually don't. Oh, and I have a mug. I think the mug I bought from the WB store. I don't think I have any Gilmore Girls merch, which is very embarrassing that I don't have it. No, it's more embarrassing that I own a sweatshirt, a mug, and a t-shirt that all have the Luke Steiner logo on it. Yeah, but the t-shirt was gifted. Yeah, it's real comfy, though. It's a nice t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Really roomy. It's a medium. It's... (laughs) (laughs) You didn't go for the true to size. It's a medium. (laughs) So it can also be a sleep shirt. Um, John Mulaney. I also want to note that Lorelai and Rory's descriptions of each episode of Donna Reed, in which there's like a mini event and then nothing happens, is also like a meta critique of Gilmore Girls. But I strongly disagree with the idea that nothing happens in Gilmore Girls. Yeah, because like even if it's incremental, unlike a lot of the sitcoms from, I feel like I was listening to, it might have been the New York Times podcast still processing, but like a lot of the like sitcoms from like the 50s or whatever had absolutely no character growth, which is how yeah. they were able to keep going. Right. In like in the 80s too, but then like the Saved by the Bell kids have to go have to graduate at some point, which is the example they used on this podcast. But like with this one, that's the same with this one too, because even if it's like episodes, it's like very episodic. However, over the course of the seven years, oh yeah, six depending on who you talk to, <laughs> you, like you do see growth and change in the characters. And I think that a lot of the criticisms of Gilmore Girls with nothing happening to come from when the show becomes less episodic, like late in the later seasons, and it becomes more even more character driven. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, there's like no actual events on the show, and it's like. No, it's because it's, like, a character-driven and relationships-driven yeah. show. It's like character study. It's yeah. not ER. Like, I know. Yeah, it doesn't need to be. It's not Grace. It's not Grace. I love the banter, I will say, in the scene when they're yeah, watching the show. Good. Very classic Lorelai and Rory. Yeah. You wanted to mention that there is a misinformed diabetes joke, though. There is, though. As a token diabetic on the pod. Mm-hmm. That's the one line in this where I'm like, mmm, that one doesn't hit. What did they say? I forget. It was in reference to... Something that they were eating or that Donna Reed was making on the show. And they were like, oh, it's enough to, like, make a diabetic. Something about a coma. I don't know. Something like that. It was something like. about, like, turning anybody into a diabetic or yes. something like that. It's like, I don't think that's how diabetes works. Yeah, that's not. No. <laughs> Dean then makes the mistake of telling Rory and Lorelai that families hanging out together and a wife cooking dinner for her husband all seems kind of nice to him. And he starts out with, like, the classic choice feminism gambit, which is, like, what if she really likes cooking dinner for them? He will then, like, reverse that position to take, like, a more reactionary stance. Not that that's not a reactionary stance, but, like, it's bold for (laughs) Dean can't read the room in this situation. He's, like... Yeah, Dean has no social tact. No, he really doesn't. Is it realistic for a 16-year-old boy? Yes. Yes, it is. But... It's awful bold to, like, come in that hot and be, like... Especially knowing what you know about the two women who you're currently sitting with. Yeah, and, like, they're making fun of the show right there, and you're, like, yes, I'm gonna, like, stake my whole thing on, like, making this a serious argument. Because he's not, like, haha, like, mm, he's, he kind of, like, comes in not hot with it, it's but... It's her choice to make her husband dinner. And it's, like, oh, Dean, is it, though? And I think that... That's, like, the stance the episode will end up taking on the Donna Reed show, which I fundamentally disagree with, because, as you alluded to in our episode description, it requires a lot of, like, massaging of the truth of what actually happened. Just a lot of mental gymnastics. Yeah. But we'll just, at we'll this point, we'll leave that there. And you want to pose a question that's been ping-ponging in my brain? Please. 
Who do you think Dean voted for in either of the two most recent presidential elections? You know, I think that's a really good question and one I've also thought about. Do you think about. he didn't vote? I think he might not have voted. <sighs> or like mm. written, like Mitt Romney. Did he write in Mitt Romney? Does Dean know who Mitt Romney is? I mean, yes, but, yeah. um, okay. I think that, does Dean give you Trumpy vibes? No. No, he, he doesn't for me either. He doesn't give me, he's not giving Bernie. No, I don't, and I can't see him voting for a woman. So right. that's <laughs> Like Jess gives me Bernie. Jess is definitely a Luke Bernie person. Is Bernie. Luke is a Bernie person. Um, I think Lorelai and Rory voted for Hillary and then voted for Hillary and then voted for Biden. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, like they would have worn pink pussy hats. Yeah. And like cool. And I think people say Taylor voted for Trump. No. I don't think Taylor did. Taylor voted for Biden and Hillary. Like, yeah. And, and so another reason I think I commented on this when we were talking about this episode earlier. Mm-hmm. But at one point when they're in the diner, this is what make this is another reason why I was thinking about this. They're in the diner and Lorelai makes some joke about just like putting up a fence around the town and <laughs> to keep everybody yeah. else out. And Taylor's like, that would be illegal. And I was like, interesting. So he doesn't build a house. He's he like, does not want to build the wall. No, he thinks about it. He's like, that would be a good idea, but that's illegal. I think Taylor is the classic example of, like, a small-town, small-C conservative. Yeah. Where he, like, has, like, reactionary views via, via like, zoning and things like that. He's but, like, really into local politics. Yes, but, like, I think he probably votes for Democrats because he's Like, a, centrist Democrats. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, like, whoever is the Democrat on the ballot because it's Taylor and he lives in Connecticut and it's just Taylor. Like, yeah. there's no way Taylor is voting for... I, I, don't, I don't see him as a Trump person. No. I don't know if I said that on the podcast in the past, but th- that's my opinion. Do I think Dean voted for Trump? My- no, I don't think I don't think he voted. I think my official stance is he didn't vote in 2016, and I think he might have voted for Biden in 2020. Maybe because he his wife, who we know canonically exists, like bothered him enough to vote for Biden. It wouldn't surprise me if he married someone who voted for Trump. I could see that too. I think it could really go either way. But I don't think he ever yeah. got around to voting. Dean, to me, seems fundamentally non-motivated to do right. anything like that. Like, I can't see Dean in a voting booth. Number one, he's too tall. <laughs> His head would, like, take off the curtain. I'm just thinking, yeah, I'm thinking more about this. I think our official stance is... Dean didn't vote. Dean didn't vote. But maybe open to hearing other arguments, and we'll maybe revisit this point in the future. Okay, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Um, next scene, Rory and Lorelai go to Luke's, uh, and Rory complains that her brain hurts and has been pinging slash dinking. I like when Lorelai says, ah, yes, hypochondria hour. This is a classic Gilmore Girls conversation for me. You can really feel ASP here. She's like, oh, your brain didn't ping, it dinked. And I think your brain can hurt, so I always feel very seen by this conversation. I understand this. Yeah. You're like, I simply cannot absorb any more knowledge. My brain is a balloon that's about to burst. I always say it feels like my brain is like either melting or being ironed out. Like someone is just taking a huge iron and just like squeezing all of the substance from it. And you're just like, if I have to learn one more thing, I will die. There's no more room at this end. Yeah, truly. Luke comes over and takes their orders and Lorelai offers constructive criticism, which is like the most Lorelai crap of all time. Can you take a little constructive criticism? And she says that the diner needs a spruce. Luke says, I don't spruce, which is a classic Luke line. And we get a Taylor appearance where we get, like, very classic Taylor to me. The town beautification committee, which is honestly probably just Taylor, has been bo- apparently it's like bothered. Taylor and Kirk <laughs> with some, like, hand gardening tools. <laughs> they have, like, little tools set up with, like, googly eyes put on them so they can pretend it's other people. And apparently they've been bothering Luke to spruce up the diner for years. And their suggestions include putting a ceramic pig in front of the door. Which a I happy little pig. 
I can. Have you ever seen those like their yep. pizzeria things? Yeah, when they have little chocolate yep. that has a special. I on can it. very vividly picture that. Yep. Bravo ASP. And then Taylor describes like a lack of sprucing making the bad crowd come in, like families move out. And then Lorelai says something that has always stuck with me. She's like, trouble right here in River City. I just think it's funny. You thought Luke had a weird hair situation. His hair looks weird. It looks like he needs a haircut. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Still looking good season one, Luke, though. Lorelai says... Until the end of this episode, he might be the most attractive man on the show. Oh, wow. Do you think Christopher's hot? I think here he is. Yeah, I think I think they really nail Christopher season one look-wise, and then they send the rest of the entire show trying to get back to that. It's like a bimodal distribution, because I think he's hot when he inherits all of his dad's money. He does and, look and good. And, like, starts to get clean cut, I'm like, okay. They, he has weird hair in some of the, like, intermediate seasons. When it's, like, seasons. too It's short. too short at one point. It looks very uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, they, he's, like, a military buzz cut. Yeah, it's bad look. It's bad. I think he's a good-looking guy. He is a good-looking And he's very, like... Charming. Oh, wasn't he caught at a Trump rally? He, the actor who plays him he is actually was. a, he's actually a Trump person. Yeah, he's like very reactionary. Sutcliffe. Just forget his name. Yeah, and he, um. He's Canadian. Oh, God. I think it was not just a Trump rally. I think he may have either attended a January 6th thing or endorsed a January 6th thing. He's from Saskatoon. Like, dude, no offense, like. You can care about another country's politics, but, like, come on, man. Like, can, are you even allowed to vote in American elections? Like, stop trying to overturn oh, them. Oh, he, what does it he say? Tweet, his most recent tweet. Oh. <laughs> can I do a dramatic reading of Yeah, please. Recent... Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Oh, wow. Okay, what you can't see is Evo is showing me <laughs> his Twitter picture. How would you describe it? Colt Jesus? Oh, Jesus, he has long hair. He has long hair, and the expression he's making is shocking, to put it lightly. It looks like, he looks like a, a church pastor who's, like, trying to look really good. Youth group pastor. Oh, my God, it's really bad. Go to David Sutcliffe's Twitter and look at it, because you really cannot be prepared for it, and it's shocking that he's, like, a professional actor, and that's his Twitter picture. What's his most recent tweet? He has a lot of retweets. Hmm. Well, he quote-tweeted someone and said... Wokeness is a smokescreen for liberal class privilege. Oh, boy. What does that even mean? <laughs> oh and then no. he said, fit bitch greater than poop. What does that mean? <laughs> what? Can you say that again? <laughs> fit bitch is greater than poop. What's that? <laughs> that last word? Whoop. W-H-O-O-P. But like, what does that mean? Is that another object? I have no idea. Oh my god. And then he had the audacity to tweet on my birthday. Ew. Dislike. Major dislike. I know what it says. Yeah. God is back and conservative is the new cool. No, it's not what it says. Wow. This is shocking. And then somebody replied, God was always present, but conservative swagger is definitely on the rise. What does conservative swagger mean? You wear boat shoes. Have you ever seen the meme where people are, somebody like some stupid conservative person like a while ago had said something like years ago with like conservatives are getting better at comedy and it's making liberals nervous. And so people keep like reusing that, that line on like, no retweet, like a stupid conservative joke. And it's like conservatives are getting better at comedy and it's making liberals nervous. Very similar to like the conservative swag is going up thing. It's like, it's not happening. It's not happening for you. It's just not. <laughs> I may need to drag you away from this account for your own mental health. What the fuck is this? Oh no, let me hear. 
So he tweeted, this is an organic. Okay. I. Oh! <laughs> um. Okay. The, How... the power and practice of deep feeling is a video of people. <laughs> it's from his personal website. It's not just a random video. Is he like a life? I think he may be a life coach. Okay, so the way I can describe this is, have you ever, did you ever have, like, challenge day at your school or something where they, like, berate you and then you kind of, like, break down mentally? Or it looks like, it's like that crossed with, like, Mr. G's room from... Mr. G's room? Mr. G's room. No, what is that? It's from the HBO show. Mr. G's room... From Summer High Tide. Oh, I love Summer High Tide. like, drama teacher. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. It is really, it feels like that. Wow. Okay. Oh, I need you no. all, if you're listening to this right now, go to David Sutcliffe's Twitter and scroll down enough so you can see, you'll know when you found it. This really. It's on his website, davidsutcliffe.com. Yeah. It's original. Deep, deep feeling. Oh my God. It's original content he produced. Deep feelings. Would you, would it be like the he most. He has a podcast. If we tried to get him on the pod, I feel like he would do it. He wouldn't listen to any of the episodes. We would just roast him. Is, does he talk about Gilmore Girls? So I clicked the about. Oh, my God. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to go back. Yeah, here. we're going to go back. I promise. And I'm keeping this in, by the way. This is such a tangent. I know, but it's a good it's tangent. Fine. I hate this episode. It's fine. We're Who good. I was. Oh, wow. Some of you may know me as an actor from TV shows like Gilmore Girls <laughs> and Private Practice. It would have been funny if you listened to a different show first. For 20 years, I had the good fortune to work with some of the most talented people in Hollywood. It was truly a dream come true. Did he spell truly right? He strikes yeah, he me did. as the type of person who would spell it T-R-U-L-E-Y. But at the height of my success, I Yay! had a subtle but lingering feeling of dissatisfaction. It was hard to reconcile because I, on the surface I had it all. A TV series, two movies coming out, beautiful home, an amazing girlfriend... What did I possibly have to be unhappy about? Then my girlfriend dumped me. Wait, did it honestly say that? Then my girlfriend dumped me. It does say that my girlfriend dumped me. And my TV series was canceled. I faced heartbreak and disappointment before, but this time it floored me. (laughs) All of my doubts and fears came rising to the surface. I couldn't make sense of it. I couldn't find my way out. I spiraled into a depression, questioning everything about my life. Mm. A friend suggested I attend a... Radical Aliveness Workshop. Oh, no! At the, the famous <laughs> retreat center in Big Sur, California. It's bad when you, like, get sucked into knockoff Scientology. Do you know what this is giving? What? You know, not Big Little Lies, but the most recent one with Nate. Yes. Um, Nine Perfect Strangers. Yes, 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 yes. I'd done my fair share of therapy, Matthew, but nothing <laughs> could have prepared me for the experience I was about to have. For six days with a group of 20 people. This is nine perfect strangers, except there's 20 of them. I dove headfirst into my most intense emotions. Oh, my God. Uncovering a world of feeling. Ugh, edit, people. Edit. This is to quote Gilmore Girls. See, there's a quote for everything. Uh, Muffy died? Edit, people. Edit. That's one of my favorite I love that episode. Um, I felt, okay, blah, 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 okay, he's unpacking the trauma of his parents' divorce when he was six. And this guy has, like, gone through really little in his life. Is that a mean thing to say? He disowned his feelings, blah, 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 okay, now we're hitting the good stuff. Mm-hmm. This began a 15-year journey of self-exploration. 15 years? Missing a hyphen. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's become my life's work. Wow. 
Wow. How he much studied meditation, yoga, breath work, <laughs> hypnosis, dreams, and shamanism. Pod listeners, pay us to take one of these workshops. Sponsor us. We should set up a Patreon. We should. I We will fly out and do one of these. I 100% would. Oh my god, would. why is this bio... St- I'm only like two thirds of the way down the page. <laughs> well, he's been doing it for 15 years, Eva. It's funny that he like... A lot of this sounds like he just became a massage practitioner. Should I click the work with me? How much do you think this costs? If it's below $200. Oh my god. How much is it? I don't know. It's oh, he has a big picture of himself in like a white hoodie and he looks like a cult leader, but like a knockoff cult leader in a show that you're like, it's referencing a cult, but they can't do it by name. That's what it looks like. His work is somatic. This means he helps you feel. We should also know that all this is written in Papyrus Bond. <laughs> no, not just not. I mean, no, I, it is. It is. It is written in Papyrus Bond. Oh my God. This, okay. is, this is a good day for me. On the work with me page, if I just scroll all the way down to the bottom for you to tell me what you're selling, it's bad marketing. This podcast also doubles as a marketing workshop. You have to apply to this? I swear to God, can we I please do it? I have to apply to give him my money for a scam? It's so it'll make you feel, ex- it make, makes it feel exclusive. If you're ready to commit to an adventure of deep self-exploration, please apply to love. I apply below. Absolutely, yeah. I will answer any questions in a 20-minute pre-consultation. Wait. 20 minutes? That's all we get? But also, like, I can get a 20-minute free consultation with him? Can I do it? Okay, we can keep going. Okay, we'll keep... We're going to come back to this. Um, we will pursue this offline. <laughs> what are you gaping at? I'm going to apply. Can we both apply? First and last name. Don't do it right now. We're recording the podcast. Keep going. Okay. Ebo is going to do this. <laughs> Well, I take us through the next scene. Lorelai and Murray are at Friday night dinner. Richard is finally here. I guess they could afford him in this episode. <laughs> Lorelai describes the wine as kick-ass, which makes me laugh. And we get a funny exchange here about Lorelai saying, you can really taste the Italian's feet. And Richard said, it's, it's French wine. And Lorelai's like, what's an Italian's I'm foot doing in my French, French wine. wine? Great line. It's a great line. The lines, as we said in this episode, are really good. And I enjoy a lot of these scenes. Which is why I like like this episode that I don't like the politics of. Controversy, though, Richard and Emily are not going to Martha's Vineyard this year because their usual rental was not available when they inquired late. Lorelai suggests that the Gilmores go to Paris instead, which shocks them because they only go to Europe in the fall. I will say this suggests like a slightly different financial situation for the Gilmores than we see in later seasons where they're debating like timesharing a private jet. But first class to Europe is very expensive. Just Emily considers time-sharing a private jet. Richard would probably say it isn't prudent, which is what he says in this episode, and I love how he says it. It wouldn't be prudent. Prudent's one of my favorite words. It's a good one. Mine is vestibule. Oh, vestibule's a great one, too. A lot of the words that are related to, like, Catholicism and its various church, like, like apps and stuff. Vestibule. The vestibule. It's, like, fun. I had to take a medieval art history class one time, and I, like, had to pass fail it because I couldn't remember all of the parts of a church. Like, and we had to label them, and I was like, I can't do this. Okay, I'm going to just submit this form. All right, do just it. before I do it. Yeah. The question is, tell me briefly about your situation and why you're looking for support. Oof. Ended with a question mark, which there shouldn't be, and briefly is spelled wrong. <laughs> Feeling stuck in my professional life. Okay. Did you write that? What? Oh, God, there's more. <laughs> it, it, it said three questions. This is question four. What the fuck? 
Please describe any previous experience with psychotherapy, emotional process work, or any other healing modalities. I love that he says healing modalities. This is really killing me. Crystals. Did you really put that? Yes. He's going to pick you. He is going to pick me. Can I come on your How consultation? How my physical health average? <laughs> That's a crazy question to ask. Is there anything else important that you would like me to know about you? I feel like I experienced deep self-loathing. I feel like that would really get you. I'm on the East Coast. <laughs> For logistical reasons. Submit. Thank you. I'll be in touch shortly. Great. You know, keep you updated. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, uh, Fully Puff Pod listeners, we will absolutely keep you posted on this. Unreal. Un-freaking-real. Uh, okay. All right. Anyway, the Gilmore girl, the Gilmores can't possibly go to Europe because it's not there. Wait, what? Uh, sorry, Europe isn't there in the Oh, spring. right. Okay. It's only there in the fall. It wouldn't be prudent. Lorelai suggests that they fly coach or business class, which she has to know they're going to lose their effing minds when she says that. But it's worth it to see their faces. They look so outraged. They're really doing some incredible like facial acting in this episode. Richard and Emily specifically. I love this plot. I think it's really cute. And it feels to me like the first Emily and Richard plot that's very fun for them. Yeah. And that gets to, like, the sort of wicked fun of the later Gilmore Girls, Richard and Emily stuff. Mm-hmm. We see more of Richard and Emily than, like, they're stodgy, or Lorelai has a troubled relationship with them. It's like, oh, Richard and Emily are really fun characters. Yeah. Next scene, Rory is studying for a history test on Catherine the Great, while Lorelai sews a button on Rory's sweater. You had questions about Lorelai's turtleneck. I couldn't decide if I liked it or not. It's kind of like a skin-tight, I don't even know how to describe it, that, like thick ribbed texture that a lot of knitwear had in like 2000, 2001. But also the color scheme reminded me of, do you ever do spin art? <laughs> yeah, it's in spin it art. Like. Yep. And you get your sand bottle and you're like, great. I can't wait to cherish this. No, sand, that's Wait, oh, that's sand art? What's spin art? Spin art. So they advertised on Nickelodeon a lot. It was one of those like 1995 question being handling type things. Oh, uh, I do remember and those it was like this like rotating platform and you had some paint and you would like yes over like yes okay yup i actually have never done that it's like for kids who would grow up to like jackson pollock oh that's true you're thinking of sand art i am thinking of sand art but i do like jackson pollock we're gonna put spin art on our patreon that we're gonna make at some point this is just turning into like a gift registry (laughs) the gift the two things on our gift registry spin art and however much david cyclops course is going to cost. Keep you posted. Yeah, keep you posted. If we all contribute like $3, we can absolutely fund this. If you support us on Patreon, you'll get our bonus episodes, which are our reactions to David Sutcliffe's podcast. <laughs> Pay us to listen to David Sutcliffe's podcast and provide live commentary to it. How many episodes do It's have? called The Psychosphere. No, it's not. <laughs> the Psychosphere? I'm going to just read you some of the psychosphere. Oh my god. I'm actually crying right now. Here's some of the episodes. Angela confronts Dave. That's episode 15. (laughs) Who the heck are those people? I think Dave is probably David. Angela is his person who does these retreats with. I I hate that I played Yeah, how did you know that? (laughs) It was on the website. Genuinely shocking, by the way. We had a fight. Wow. He really knows how to describe an episode. Joe Rogan entering no. the void and Angela's big secret. 
you know what a lot of this reminds me of is like it's very the room yeah you know like that just bizarre completely entirely non-self-aware vibe car accidents and sexual fantasies i'm sorry can you say that a little louder <laughs> i don't know if this picked it up but Eva just said one of them is called or like has a description it's car accidents and sexual fantasies yeah wow I wonder if there's anything on this about Bitcoin. You oh, know, oh you know he's a He's oh, 100% yeah. yep, into no, there is. The shadow of power in Bitcoin. Oh, there it is. God. You know what he strikes me as? Someone who has strong, pro- positive opinions about age gap relationships. <laughs> like, absolutely. 100%. Great. I'm so happy I derailed our entire podcast. It's okay. My- it's a bonus episode. You get a bonus episode in the episode. You don't even have to pay for our non-existent Patreon. My okay, t- so they're mending Rory's sweater. Lorelai can sew. There's a knock on the door. We get Babette. Hey. It's been way too long since we've seen her. We are noted Babette stands. <laughs> they need somebody to watch Apricot. I'm glad that they have coped with Cinnamon's loss by getting a new kitten. Where he's gonna go over and house sit. But that says Mari just got cable, so you can watch those four girls talking dirty if you want to, which I think means Sex in the City. It has to. It premiered in 1998. I just probably at its peak. <laughs> just love that description of Sex in the City. I can't see them watching it though. That's the thing. That's why I was like, do you think this does mean Sex in the City? Because it's like I a- can see Babette watching it, <laughs> but Lorelai and Rory have never watched Sex in the City. I think they they might. I feel like they might they watch it and make fun of it. I think there's a reference at some point to, like, I'm a Samantha, I'm a Carrie. Maybe. I'll have to look it up. I don't know. I feel like they would, like, have you ever... Maybe Paris makes a reference to it. I think that she does, actually, like, something about unsatisfying sex lives or something like that. I think that, like, season one of Sex and the City, which is, like, much darker, I could see them watching that. Yeah. A confession is that I couldn't get into Sex and the City. I watched, like, the first six episodes, and I was like, I don't really like this. I watched it because I was, like... I ha- I kept it was catching the guys. Yeah, it was and plus, the guys. If you got, if you watched the like censored episodes yes. that were on reruns <laughs> on the E network, I did. Bravo. Yep. Yeah, and then I watched the actual, and I was like, wow, these episodes are not different. ten minutes long because they would run like three episodes in like the thirty minute block because yeah. there's no content without them. The first couple seasons are like much better than the later stuff, and the movies obviously this is not a hot, a hot take or absolutely abysmal. What are your thoughts on interest like that? Uh, I did not watch it, and I never will, just because, like, I'm lazy and I don't want to. But I... Don't get on Peloton. I stand Kim Cattrall. (laughs) I love that they killed him off on the Peloton. I love that they were like, we're going to take Mr. Big, like, an iconic TV character of, like, the last 30 years and kill him off in a way that's, like, a very of-the-moment and immediately dated reference. Mm -hmm. They're just like, we're not even going to give him a death that's, like, interesting or significant. Like, we'll do it to, like, just, we'll throw it away on a gag. Didn't there start... After that too. Yeah, it, did. it really did. People are like, oh, crap. Mr. Big can... Cardio's gonna kill me. Yeah, <laughs> it really will. Don't exercise. No, we're pro-exercise, kind of. Off the top. Eh, we're ambivalent about it. I didn't run today. We then find out that this is, like, the second night Lorelai and Rory have ever spent apart. Which I doubt. I, like, really doubt. That can't be possible. Rory's definitely had sleepovers before. Yeah, and she's probably slept over at Lane's, because we know that Lane can't probably hasn't slept yeah, over there. I thought about that. And then, like... We saw, like, ten episodes earlier that she stayed over at the Gilmore's. Yes. And also, like, Lorelai worked in hospitality, and so I have a hard time believing that she never had to work the night shift. That's a good point also, especially when she was a maid. Right. She And, like, I'm sure Suki came over and watched her. Yeah. Yeah. So, no. We can see it as comic hyperbole, but yes. 
Definitely not true. I do like the when they say Rory's like, "What are you gonna do when I go off to college?" And Lorelai says, "I'll sleep on the floor of your dorm," which is ends up being foreshadowing. Yeah, because Lorelai spoiler does end up sleeping on the floor at Rory's first night of college. But I love that it's because Rory asks her to, and not because Lorelai's too attached. I love that episode. That was a good one with the mattress. Me too. too. I showed it to somebody as like their first Gilmore Girls episode, and they were like, "I hate this show. These people are so terribly adjusted." And I'm like. If you watched it from the beginning, you would really... You'll find it endearing. You'll find it very endearing. It's an amazing television experience. This episode also had, like, a lot of very short scenes in it. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that, especially as it goes on. Like, the scenes, like, when it cuts between Rory and Lorelai, Rory and Lorelai in their separate houses, they're, like, 30 seconds to a minute. Do you think that works? They're, like, vignettes. Yeah, Yeah, they are vignettes. Do you think it works well? I liked it because I hated hated (laughs) the plot line, so... Yeah, I think it makes the episode feel much more. It feels like more fast. happens. Yes, than it does. yeah, that's what I meant. Just that's what I was trying to say. Like it feels more fast paced and like plot driven than it acts. Nothing really happens in the episode, and for an episode that's very dialogue driven, it makes it feel less so. Like it mm-hmm. makes it feel plot propelled. So I think it's successful. We then get Rory getting off the bus after school when Dean, who never has anything else to do, is waiting for her on the bench. I have a question. So, as we said in the intro, Rory has a bird that's for a school project. She's going to be keeping it for the next month so she can, quote-unquote, examine its every move. Is that, like, really ambitious for a school project, or is it just me? A month? A bird in a cage? What is she observing about it? What will change over the course of a month that she couldn't get in a week? Like, it laying eggs? I don't know. It's a canary. Do they do that? Yeah, it's a bird. That's a stupid question, right? So, but it's not like it's a chicken. Like, do canaries spontaneously lay eggs if they're not fertilized? Do canaries <laughs> lay eggs? eggs if they're not fertilized? Because I guess, like you said, all birds lay eggs. Like, what? Why not just say a week? It doesn't have to be there for a month. My school did that thing where, like, if you took home ec, which I didn't. Yes, they can. Oh, interesting. Normally, a female canary lays about three to five eggs per clutch. What the fuck is a clutch? It's a. It's like a litter <laughs> i don't know i know that birdhub.com are you really on birdhub.com sure i am <laughs> subscribe to our patreon to get our exclusive takes on birdhub.com only fans for birds there is no need for the male to be present for the female to lay her eggs interesting we stand we stand and they'll do you think that's a metaphor for the strong independent woman who's stuck in the cage of the patriarchy aka Donna Reed. If you want to take it a step further, she does name her Stella, who is out of the two female main characters in A Streetcar Named Desire, is the one who's caged in the relationship by her violent and brutish husband, Stanley, who is kind of a Dean figure, except Dean is way less bad. We're just asking the questions. We're asking the questions here. Rory's like, hey, Dean, you want to come over and hang out with me while I house it? Dean is like, oh, I have, yes, but I have to go to work because Thursdays at Dozies are really busy. With a lot of oppressed housewives shopping for their husband's dinner. Dean does not need to, like, restart this argument, and yet he does. Should we break it down, like, what happens? Yeah. Because I guess it's important plot-wise. So, Marie's like, what? When he says that? She's like, that felt a little pointed. And he's like, what do you mean? Come on, Dean, you know what you said. Yeah. He says she's too sensitive about the Donna Reed thing. I hate when people say that. And she asks if he really likes that concept of a wife serving dinner for her husband and family. And he says yes. To me, he's being, like, very unaware of the fact that, like, it has deeper cultural connotations than just, like, oh, it's just the thing you can choose to do. Like, 
And I think he's, no one is that ignorant of the idea that it comes without any cultural history. Mm-hmm. So it, I think, is he just being a dick? Like, yeah, probably. He's a nice Midwestern boy whose mom cooked dinner for his dad. Yeah. And Rory points out it's not just that. It's the having to have the dinner on the table as soon as your husband gets home and having to do the housework and having your whole point in life to be to serve to somebody else. Dean says there's two points of view here. And when Rory disagrees, he, oh, he says that she just feels that way because her mother feels that way, which is a really low blow. To me, that's like a really awful thing to say mm-hmm. and he says it in a really snitty way too you just feel that way because your mother feels that way you just feel this way because your dad grew up with his wife cooking him every meal yep it's bad and I feel like it's another one of like it's another critique of Gilmore Girls I've heard people make is like oh they're like have you ever heard that like oh Rory's annoying because she just like parents what Lorelai says and yeah. all that stuff but like that's not what's going on here. No. Rory's an independent thinker, and he's being a jackass. And Dean is the least independent and critical thinker of all time, so it's pretty friggin' rich. Even before they decide to make him dumb. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, we're still in season one, not dumb Dean. And he's still an idiot. Yeah. he's He just sucks here so much. Dean points out, as we said, that even before his mom started working, she used to make dinner for his dad every night. Now she even does it on the weekends. So what does that say about her? Rory astutely says, it says she has a choice and Donna Reed didn't. Dean's like, you do realize Donna Reed wasn't real. Rory says yes, but she did represent a ton of women who had to dress like that way and act that way. Up to this point, I think Rory's argument is very good. Mm-hmm. Like, the, that, this is the argument I expect, if you had never seen the episode before, and like having a, somehow seen every other Gilmore Girls episode, you would expect to be like the end point of Mm-hmm. the episode you're like oh okay like Rory's right this is to me a feminist show in a lot of ways I know that's like a problematic stance whatever that people will was contradict it really me feminism yeah it, it is it's different but I think it's a, it's a feminist show in a lot of ways and I think that it's often trying to subtly shoehorn that in too mm-hmm. and this is the way I would expect the episode to end up endorsing this viewpoint mm-hmm. it doesn't spoiler alert but then they end like kind of like a weird detent where <laughs> they like get physically to Josie's and Dean's like alright bye I have to go yeah. He's still carrying the birdcage. <laughs> Rory annoyed is like kind of annoyed and he says and says, Dean, bird. And like, not even that can save this. Not even that can save this. It's bad. It's if you didn't hate oh, Dean already. You're gonna hate him now. You're gonna hate him now. And spoiler alert, you're gonna hate him a lot more in the future. But yeah, you will. This is one of our like real first hardcore like just Dean the dance sucks marathon. episode. Oh, he's so bad in that. So bad in that. That's one of the worst Dean episodes. We're then back at Rory and Lorelai's house. This is basically like a transition scene. Rory just got there. Lorelai's heading to Luke's to go paint. Lorelai sees Rory as a chick, and she's really excited. She renames her from case study number 12 to Stanley when she thinks she's a boy, and then Stella when she's a girl because it's a streetcar named Desire reference. Trapped in a cage. Ah. Rory leaves the chick there for the night because she doesn't want the kitten to get any ideas. Good idea in theory, but don't leave Lorelai with your pets. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Lorelai notices that Rory's feeling off, and when she asks if she's okay, Rory says she just has a bad afternoon and she's going to fix it. At this point, I don't think she's planning on doing any sort of weird Donna Reed cosplay. Do you think she does? No. I think she develops... I want to talk about when she develops the idea when we get to it. So then we go to Luke's. Lorelai and Luke are in the middle of picking out paint colors. I like the banter here. I know you're a little less of a fan of the dynamic. Yeah. I mean, I like, first of all, love paint swatches. Mm. 
Well, you'll see this weird corner of the diner that I don't think we ever see again that has, like, a lot of clutter in it. It's a lot of tchotchkes. It does. And, like, this part, I think, is fine when they're, like, moving around the diner. But later on, the, like, a lot of the acting between Luke and Lorelai feels very, very forced to me. And, like, they're really trying hard to make a ship happen. Yeah, I think this episode... Like, they're really trying to nail down the Luke and Lorelai thing and be like, hey, guys, you know this is the dynamic, right? Um, you want them to date, right? But I think the show's done a very good job so far establishing that without having to whack you over the head with it. Mm-hmm. So I think that it comes across as a little forced here. I will dissent from your opinion about, like, not liking the acting choices. I think it's a cute episode for them, and I... I don't, it feels like a high school play to me. It does feel... Quality. Though I guess you could say you could go meta and be like, ah, play, streetcar named desire. Yeah, I no, it, doesn't, it no, doesn't, work. doesn't work. I like their dynamic. I like getting to see a little more of Luke as a character when he talks about his dad. Yeah. He talks about how, you know, as we said in the intro, like his dad had this as a hardware store. He spent a ton of time there as a kid. He, you know, made it into a diner because he thought it would be fun. And I like when Lorelai says, oh, that's a hard word for you to say, isn't it? <laughs> Lorelai like suggests stenciling and he's like no stenciling and she says do you even know what stenciling is and he says does Martha Stewart do her, do it and she says yes and he says no stenciling <laughs> do you remember what stenciling was a huge thing though it was it was a decorating look mm-hmm. and we do get Kirk and Taylor coming in and it turns out they have a bet that Luke wasn't going to paint the diner and I feel like we're starting to get the characterization of, like, the Kirk that Kirk will become. Mm-hmm. And, like, Stars Hollow at large. Yeah, because, spoiler alert, like, Kirk is a huge part Thank of you. the show. And the Stars Hollow, like, dynamic that you see here is a huge part of the show. So I love these, like, little glimpses of Kirk. And, of course, he's going to lose the bet because Taylor, well, they are planning to paint the diner. We don't know if they actually do. We don't know if they actually do at this point. Yeah, and then we transition to Rory sitting, doing homework at Babette and Maury's. And she decides to call Dean instead. We only see one half of the conversation. But it seems like Dean's mom picks up, tells Rory that Dean isn't in. And when she learns this, she gets up to do something. Yeah, I think this is where she makes the decision. Mm-hmm. But, like, what has to possibly be going through your mind here? Can we just talk about that? Like, what? I cannot even fathom it. Like, this to me is, like, a very television show thing. Like, not even in your most diluted weird like I was a high schooler who would like do like weird crap but like this is nuts to do yeah to be like ah I'm gonna hatch a plan to like it's it's not like she's proving her own point like she's you know what I mean it'd be fun yeah like to try to get inside Donna Reed's head Yo, I don't know, man. I think that's where the logic of the episode falls apart because she's when Dean doesn't call her I guess what you're supposed to think is like or when he doesn't answer, is, like, she's thinking about her relationship with Dean. She's thinking about, like, is it worth it over this conflict to, you know, make things weird? Yeah. And then, like, maybe I'll try to do Donna Reed stuff to be, like, fun and cheeky, but also to, you know, try to see things from his point of view. But that feels very unroary to me, and I hate that. Yeah. I simply feel like this was because I, like, truly cannot understand this. Yeah. That it was, like, the writers were, like, okay, this part of the episode seems like a good idea. It would be fun if we dressed up Rory like Donna Reed. We need a small scene in the middle yes. to connect these two ideas. I mean, that's clearly what's going on, and that's mm-hmm. unsuccessful writing. But I, I agree. This is completely a writer-generated idea, and you can feel that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this will be, like, a good thing to happen plot-wise. It does not feel something that organically comes from Rory, and I think that's why it makes so many of us bristle. 
because like it doesn't feel right for the episode and it doesn't feel right for Rory's line of thought and what we know about Rory as a character. It feels like something they did because they felt like this would be interesting on TV. Or they like found a fun costume and they're like, how do we incorporate this? <laughs> High probability that they were like strolling around the WB lot and found this costume and were like, do you think this will fit Alexis Liddell? Do you think they used this costume on Maisel? I think that, and I do want to talk about this, maybe this is the right point, like a lot of this points to things that Amy Sherman Palladino is obviously interested in, like that era of TV and women's involvement in it and like earlier uncredited writers and producers and mm-hmm. EPs who were women. And I think that you can see like a direct through line to that in Maisel. But I think they used a better version of this costume on Maisel because this is a low rent one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not quite Halloween adventure, but it's not good. Yeah. Um, so then we go back to Luke and Lorelai picking out pink colors at <laughs> <in> the diner. <laughs> For some reason, they're both holding beer bottles. It seems like neither of them have ever held a bottle before, and it's very awkward and stiff. They look like aliens in a play about people. No, I'm telling you, this reminds me of, like, community theater. Now that you say there is something weird about the staging of these couple scenes. It's so weird. Like, when he's behind so her forced. later, and it feels like it's a... He's like, I must remember my walking, not the motivations that are... It's, like, propelling me to get here. Yeah, and they're, like, weirdly physically close in a way that I know is supposed to be, like, oh, physical tension, but it feels like they're... It's so forced. It feels like you're right. You can see the blocking. I think I like the acting here, but I, you know, I think that you're right about the, the blocking and stuff. Lorelai picks out a palette that's, like, pretty similar to what Luke has now, but with colors that are a little richer and a little warmer, and he agrees. I like that when she asks what he thinks, he says he has no idea, and he asks her if she likes it, she says yes, and he says okay. Because I just think that's a, that's a nice, more subtle hint to the way their relationship dynamics will play out when they finally get together. They, yeah, they Spoiler trust alert. each other. They trust each other, and he kind of implicitly trusts her on this stuff, even though he make make fun of her about it. Mm-hmm. I like that better than, like, the forced physical stuff in this and I guess that's why I like these scenes because I think that we get a lot of dialogue that works well to establish their relationship I don't love the are they gonna kiss part of it and then a photographer who you pointed out was Andrew I missed that it was Andrew and I apologize I always like forget about him as a character he's just like kind of there he's kind of there he comes in and tries to snap some shots because the town council wanted a before and after the paint job and then Lorelai, like, they, they get him out, and Lorelai says that they should start discussing what stuff on the walls they're going to keep. And Luke insists that everything stays, and then he tells her that the diner hasn't been painted since his dad was alive, and then they go into that conversation that we mentioned earlier about the mm-hmm. hardware store. Then they talk about the spot on the wall where his dad took an order one day when he ran out of paper. I like the writing here, where, like, it's initially, he, does, he pretends like he doesn't know where the spot is or what it says, but then it's revealed that he knows exactly where the spot is and what it says. I know you don't like the delivery it's though. It's so forced. I think that, that I think all of, I think the dialogue there is forced. I think the delivery is forced. I don't believe him. I will respectfully disagree. We will come to a detent. I don't like when they say, I guess it is time for a little spruce and Lorelai says, but then they have that moment where it looks like it's gonna kiss, and Luke like actually moves in to kiss her, which is something always I didn't like. I don't like that. I don't feel like that feels even yeah, consistent with the rest of the characterization in the episode. Yeah. He would be too hesitant to do that, I think. But it's interrupted by the town, like, bulb flashes. Yeah. Because there's a lot of freaking photographers. And then we cut to Lane's room. Yay! Wait, they have another moment where they're going to kiss, too. And then oh, Lorelai yeah. excuses herself. 
Yeah, and then we cut to Lane's room. I like this because we see the extensiveness. This is my favorite, I think, scene of this, yeah. show, of we, this episode. We get, like, the first look at the, like, insanely extensive CD collection and taxonomy Lane has under the floorboards. It's a lot of stuff. And I love it. And they find the CD. Rory says she's looking for a weird CD in the miscellaneous section, which includes a William Shatner CD. Wait, okay. Embarrassing <laughs> thing. <laughs> Is that there is a William Shatner song that ended up in my Spotify top 100 last year. It's called Normal People. Is I, it, like, unironically enjoy this song. I think it's objectively good. What is this voice sound? I don't know, it's called Common People. That's what it sounds. Okay, that makes called. sense. I was like, it's not a book. I want to live like common people. Oh, that's a, that's a song. I want to yeah. be like <laughs> common people. Yeah, that's a, that's a, so it's a cover. Oh, it's a cover? It must be, because there's, that, I don't think that's a William Shatner original. Oh, it is a cover. Yeah. By Pulp. Yeah, that makes sense. I love the fact that he covered it, though. I Are truly, you gonna, I, I ironically <laughs> enjoy the William Shatner version. I'm going to listen to it. Please listen to this podcast, listeners, and tell us what you think about it. Okay, I know why I enjoy this song. Yes. The version that I listened to was produced by Ben Folds, which oh. makes a lot of sense about why I like Wait, it. Wait, why did Ben Folds produce a William Shatner song? They're probably friends. I don't know. <laughs> Do you think they're friends? It wouldn't surprise me. That's fair. Hollywood is a weird place. That's the unofficial soundtrack for this episode of William Shatner's oh, cover. Oh, My Chemical Romance cover. Oh, no! Oh, my God. Let's all In promise not to listen to it. The singer Gerard Way explained that the song was important to him growing up because it, quote, speaks to regular people. Oh, <laughs> my God. Every time someone mentions Umbrella Academy, which I feel like they did a lot a couple years ago, I'm like, did you know Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance wrote those comic books? No. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Uh... I can't believe I didn't remind you about it. Yeah, that's, like, my one purpose in life, to be like, did you know that was Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I like the William Shatner version. I didn't know it was not a William Shatner song. <laughs> we all learn on all here on Fully Puffed. Learn. We live, we laugh, we love. Lorelai arrives back at her house to find that, as you probably could have predicted, the chick went missing. I had a moment where I was like, is this entire plot just an excuse for Lorelai to yell, Stella? Which, like, yes, I want to go on record saying that it is. Could be. Could be. She calls Luke and tells him that Stella got out, the chick, and then asks him what to do and then to come over and help her look for it. Wink, wink. You said something that this feels like very classic Sakami to you, too. Yeah. I mean, it just, it sounds like a booty call. I... Yeah. Mm. Okay. Like, if you heard about this, you would be like, yeah, that sounds like a booty call. But I could also see myself just, like, panicking and calling someone to be like, help me get this, like, random animal that's in my house. Like, I understand. It, like, makes sense in the universe of this show. This is the thing that would happen and that Lorelai wouldn't realize it's a booty call. But, like... But, like, Suki's right about the fact that since... Why does she call him? And also, it sounds like... It sounds like a booty call. Yeah. We'll discuss. He, he shows up, and then he's surprised that she really does have a chick loose in there. Because obviously yeah. he thought that... It was a booty call. call. Yeah. Or at least that, as Suki tells Lorelai, like, maybe she just wanted to see him and talk to him. Maybe more about the relationship. Or it was a booty call. Or it could be both. And then back to Rory, the phone rings, and it's Dean. He's like, do you still want me to come over? And she's like, Yes. And he's like, are you totally and completely sure? And he's like, I'm messing with you. And then he reveals that he's actually right outside. Which, like, what if she had said no, she didn't want him to come over? What would he have done? Like, would he have 
turned around and left? Who shows up? They just had a fight. Who shows up at the house when you're not sure if your girlfriend's still mad at you or not? Right? Is that a weird thing to do or am I crazy? No, I think it, I, it feels like something Dean would do. Yes, and it's a weird thing to do. Because and my Dean does other weird things. Is, and I was too busy multitasking because I hate this episode. <laughs> but I didn't really, like, notice if there was a shot of him outside the house and, like, what he was calling on. Because it's 2001. He oh, yeah. Have a cell phone. <laughs> oh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, no, there is a shot of him outside the house because Rory comes out. But you don't see him actually on the phone. There's no way Dean has a cell phone. Dean is no. not the one character in Gilmore Girls to have a cell phone. I feel like it's Michelle. <laughs> I was going to say it's either Michelle or, or Madeline or Louise. Yeah, or like Christopher. Yeah, okay, that is, that's a genuine plot hole. Good catch. Maybe we missed something, but I think you're right. Yeah. And then so obviously when Rory comes out, Dean is like, what the heck are you wearing? And she, she, he's like, trick or treat, which is, that's funny, Dean. Nice job. Thinking that one on your own. <laughs> I would probably think this was a sex thing. Is that a less weird explanation than what's actually going on here? I think that's so much less weird. If they were, like, three years older and this was Logan, I would say this is definitely a sex <laughs> thing. It's true. And it would be a sex thing. And with Logan, it would be fun. You I know, know what I mean? I'm, like, thinking about his going away party when... <laughs> Rory dresses up in that I think outfit, he's a cane which, for some reason. Like... <laughs> which is such an obvious sex thing. Like, I know it's... such a sex I thing. I know the party is British-themed, but it's also a sex thing. Also a sex thing. It just is. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Like, it's not because it has such a different vibe. It is very uncomfortable. I feel like I'm eavesdropping on something I don't want to be seeing. God, I fucking hate this. Can we curse on our pod? Yeah, we, you bet all market is clean. God, I fucking hate this episode. <laughs> I hate this part especially. I think when I was watching the DVD box sets, I would always fast forward over it. Like, if I yeah. didn't skip over this episode, I would fast forward over this part. Ugh. I like that you made a note earlier when we were doing the episode summary that, like, this is not her house, also, making this an especially psychotic thing to do. Why did she clean Babette's house? And Babette's house is adorable. And also, Babette's house is, like, a weird place to do this because it's aggressively not Donna Reedy. No, it's, like, it's so fun cozy. and eclectic and cozy. Knickknacks. Yeah, Donna Reed absolutely does not have knickknacks. Or they're, like, those little figurines and stuff. They're not Babette knickknacks. No. And she has the CD from Lane playing, which is, like, the only fun touch in this whole thing though it is disturbing and you know the whole thing is very yeah. upsetting she reveals that she's made appetizers uh, steak green beans mashed potatoes and dessert you had a note that this is very Lindsay. it is very Lindsay. Ugh, guys stay tuned for Lindsay. i feel bad for her i feel really bad for Lindsay, and i actually like her i'm excited to talk about her when we get there yes. because i think she is painted like we she's painted yeah. like a villain and she's not and which i think she doesn't hold up and i don't think it would have helped yeah. like it's, it's even bad then. It's bad then. It's bad yeah. now. I think the show makes a misstep there. And we'll I get there. Yeah, and I think it doesn't want you to endorse Rory's actions either, but, like, Lindsay's portrayal is, like, cartoonish, and I don't like it. Yeah. You're supposed to hate her mom. We hate her mom. Yeah. Mm. Well. Well. Our Dean. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. No, I don't know. We'll talk about it. And I, yeah, and we'll talk about this episode in the context of Lindsay stuff when we get to it. And he's like, what's going on? And she's like, I thought it was obvious. It's Donna Reed night. 
If I were Dean, I honestly, my brain would have just broken. Like, Dean's small brain is not equipped to handle this weirdness at all. And he's so, this is the one time where Jared Padalecki's acting works, in my opinion, because he can't act and he's awkward in every scene. But also, like, this is exactly how Dean would, or any other teenage boy would respond. So I'm like, yeah, I believe this. This works well for me here. Because he's like, huh, what? Yeah, so flashback, because we have, like, 6,000 cuts in this episode. Lorelai and Luke are still looking for Stella. She's like, Luke, what did you mean earlier about, like, really having chick in the house? We get that, like, Luke thought this was, it's, he thought it was a booty call. And then we go back to Babette's where Dean and Rory are eating dinner. She's like, how is it? He's like, it's perfect. I've never had anybody cook dinner for me before except my mom, and that's really different. It's like, yeah, Dean, I guess that's factually correct. But also, what about your grandma? What about <laughs> literally anybody else? He means it's different when you have your girlfriend doing it. No, but the part about, like, nobody ever cooking <laughs> me dinner before... Dean can't, like, hold three independent thoughts in his head. In his mind, this is probably literally true. I think the part where she forgets the roles is funny. That was funny. She has a good line about them taking away her pearls. Yeah. Donna Reed would have never forgotten the roles. They're going to make me turn in my pearls. That's, like, an unintentional comment on the neuroticism of the 50s housewife and how these unrealistic expectations drive you to, like, beat yourself up over stuff that is objectively... Not the roles. Yeah, completely meaningless. Maybe that's intentional. Who knows? This is where the episode's logic completely breaks down for me, if it hadn't already. Mm. Okay. Dean is like, as amazing as this whole thing was, I hope you know that I don't expect or want you to be Donna Reed. Oh, we're going to get into this. Yeah. This wasn't what I meant, and this whole thing just got blown out of proportion, and, quote, I'm actually pretty happy with you, which sounds better in context than it does looks written down, because, like, yikes. Yeah, it's pretty yikes. And then Rory says, I know, and I appreciate that, but aside from this being actually fun... I did a little research on Donna Reed and oh found out <laughs> just oh boy. that while she did do the whole milk and cookies, wholesome big skirt thing, aside from that, she was also an uncredited producer and director on her old television show, which made her one of the first women television executives, which is actually pretty impressive. <sighs> okay. The word uncredited needs to do more work there. Okay. Here, it's like, you know the gift that goes around Twitter sometimes when people just like totally miss the point and it's like... Like, the airplane or the bird or whatever <laughs> flying across, and it's like, you, the point. Uncredited! Okay. For me, I have a theory about this episode, because I completely agree with you. And I think that Amy Sherman-Palladino, what we know about this show and her later writing, is that she's really interested in these narratives of, like, women getting erased in this, like, era. Mm-hmm. And I can picture her pitching this episode without this, like, late-act resolution, where it ends up being, like, where he's like, I enjoyed this, and maybe I'll end up doing it again someday for a guy. But not now. And I can see, like, the tension of the network and the realization of what kind of expectations are on you to do, like, a show for the WB coming into play at some point. Because the first half of the episode is a more explicit political statement than we usually get. Mm -hmm. And then the second half of the episode tries to have its cake and eat it, too, where it's, like, we're going to end up saying, like, it's not good for all women to be forced into this, but, like, maybe Donna Readable did have a choice and it wasn't, and actually she was a feminist hero and completely, like, shoehorned this logic that doesn't work in there. So it tries to have this awkward resolution in order to, like, kind of... Really just tell us that. Yeah, just tell us that and kind of, like, take this really sharp point that was made and kind of, like, smooth it over a little bit. What do you think? Am I just trying to be too optimistic here? I, like, get why Amy Sherman Palladino would write this. Yeah. I just... 
It feels so out of character to have Rory say, but actually, this is why it was fine. Yeah, and then even, that's very bad, but my least favorite part is when Rory says, Dean's like, oh, I'm happy this was such a positive experience for you, and kind of like sarcastically, and she agrees, and she says, well, I'll probably never get the feeling back in my left little toe. I'll do it again, someday, but for now, I better get these dishes cleaned up. I just really hate that maybe I'd do it again someday thing. Like, that's just very out of character for Rory to yeah. me. And it's not like, like, this is one of the most reactionary moments in the entire show, I think, like all seven seasons. And it's so weird because the rest of Gilmore Girls does not endorse this message yeah, at I'm all. Yeah, I'm also trying to, like, situate this in the context. I, not to, like, go back to what we were talking about either, like, on the last episode or two episodes. This episode <laughs> being situated in the context of, like, 2000, 2001, like, post-9-11, pro-nationalism, America family values situation. Yeah. I think there's, like, I don't know what the point is, but I feel like there's something to say there. And a distinctly, like, moment when when feminism was, if it was considered, it was considered, like, feminism's not cool anymore, and... This is, like, pre-women can have it all. Yes. This yeah. is pre-Liz Lemon. Pre-Liz Lemon, but also, like, post that original women can have it all in, like, the 80s. So you're getting a kind of, like, glossy girl mag. Like, we've moved past feminism. We don't, we don't need, need it. it. Yeah, they call it, like, a quote-unquote post-feminist look. Like, post-second Right, yeah. yeah. So it's all about, like, yeah, like, you're a cool woman, but, like, you're not a man-hater, and you can, like, enjoy lip gloss and stuff. And I very much feel that kind of societal pressure on this mm-hmm. episode. Because it feels like one that wants to make a feminist point, and that gets... So close. So close, and then takes this, because of, you know, whatever pressures it's feeling, whether this was a deliberate writer choice or something that happened in the beginning or changed, it just gets, like, dumbed down into that other perspective. Yeah. And it's very difficult to watch. It's so cringe. It's very, very cringe. Yeah, and I, I find it, like, one of the hardest to watch if you, like, really deeply think about parts of the show. So bad. Thankfully, I don't really think this perspective ever gets carried over into... Which is what makes it even... I think yes. that makes it worse. I think that's worse and weirder. Like, it, yeah. it feels like, in a lot of ways, like, kind of a throwaway season one weird episode. But, like, that makes it feel even more aberrant and bizarre and, like, how did this happen? Yeah. But it's also not a throwaway episode because it really drives the, like, Luke Lorelai dynamic Yeah. The that's why there's, like, so much I like about it because I really like the... I, I'm a big Luke Lorelai person. So I, same. Yeah, so I like a lot of, like, that dialogue and, and, and them in these scenes. And, and, like, Christopher shows up and things like that. And you can even see, like, Dean's reactionary side coming out here, which I think that really shows yeah. up later Dean and does a lot anger. of yeah. important plot stuff and, like, his weird ideas about women. But I will say that what it does do is, like, the Rory stuff feels mm-hmm. completely bizarro. It's so bad on so many different levels. The one funny part about this scene, and it is in no way redeeming quality, I do think it's funny when Dean offers to help clean up and Rory's like, you're a man, you can't help for another 15 years. Yeah, that's funny. I think that's funny. We don't, I think, need to really go over... We need to go into everything else Everything that else that happens. I, they maybe, run into Luke, they run into Lorelai because there's only a small amount of yard space in between the two of them. In DDO. We get some good shots... Yeah. Of, like, the parallels of Luke and Dean. It's nicely that, shot. That's, like, nicely shot. Yeah, cinematography-wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lorelai, of course, finds the whole thing bizarre and hilarious. Yeah. And as she should. I do like that she's like, well, I expected you to have your boyfriend over. 
if you're house sitting. But like, I didn't expect this, and that feels like a very. It has the change. same amount of tension as like your mom walking in on you and your boyfriend like hooking up in the basement. <laughs> like that is the, exactly like that is the flavor is. of tension here. Yes, it does. But it's it's so much uh, it's so much worse to view. Somehow it's worse. Somehow it's worse. I do want to talk about like the Suki and Michelle stuff. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, good. That's cute. Suki and Michelle are arguing because Suki won't compromise her culinary integrity and make him an egg white omelet. Which I, I, I like egg white, I like omelets. egg white omelets. And it's revealed that actually Suki does make really good egg white omelets and she's just messing with Michelle. One of my favorite things here too is Suki compliments the chick's name. Lorelai tells her it's from Streetcar. And Suki's like, Vivian Lee or Jessica Tandy version? And Lorelai says, hello, Tandy. That's so much more of like an esoteric reference than like, one. yeah, it's a good one. Everybody knows Vivian Lee in Streetcar. Jessica Tandy originated the role, I think. And then Suki says what we said. Like, basically, it sounds like you... It was... Luke interpreted this as a booty call. Yeah. And Lorelai gets huffy and defensive because she's being caught out on the It most certainly was not a booty call. How would you think that? I simply had a chick loose and I simply needed to call Luke, who of course would know that I need. I actually did have a chick loose. loose in the house. We also find out that Miss Patty raises chickens in this. I don't believe that. I don't believe that either. And that the first time Suki and Jackson hooked up, it's because she called him and said that she had a bat in the attic. I don't love that visual at all. No. No. I, that that stays out of my Suki and Jackson headcanon. But and then we have a more enjoyable version of the conversation at the Gilmars. Mm-hmm. Emily and Richard have managed to secure a rental on Martha's Vineyard after all. Hooray for them. Because the person who was originally renting it died. <laughs> they have a great conversation. They're so thrilled about Richard it. Richard is so... Good news. So funny in this scene. But like, he died and Richard goes, he'd been drinking in this, like, very self-satisfied voice. It's so funny. They call them Joe and Melissa Rivers. Um, iconic. Iconic. Two icons. Lorelai points out how celebratory they're being and tries to join in. And then, like, they say she's being morbid. Which is really funny because, mm-hmm. of course, they're being extremely morbid. Great Emily and Richard. They brighten up this episode so much. Mm-hmm. And then the conversation eventually turns to Lorelai having to look for Rory's chick. And Lorelai mentions that Luke was there. Emily, of course, is like, why was Luke there? And when Lorelai pushes back and goes into the kitchen, Emily tries to follow her and confronts her in what I think is a pretty good distillation of Luke's like presence in Gilmore yeah. Girls. She's like, I'm a little tired of being lied to. Luke was at Rory's birthday party. He came with her to the hospital, is the male lead in every story you tell, goes to the diner every single day, and she says, I've seen the way he looks at you, the way you look at him. I'm not a fool. I think she makes a subtext text here, and she's, like, a really good stand-in for the viewer, too, who's like, come on. Like, this is clearly building Stop something. Stop lying to yourself and also us. Yeah. But it's enjoyable because it's Emily, and yeah. you know, she's a great actress. And then she says... Why don't you treat me like I don't have a clue what's going on in your life and just tell me, do you have feelings for this man? Lorelai says, I don't know. Maybe I do. I haven't given it that much thought. <sighs> maybe I do. Um, and then Emily's like, thank you for finally being honest with me. And now that you did, we can discuss what on earth you were possibly thinking. No notes. It, no notes. Perfect. And then we get our last scene. We're in front of Luke's diner. He's loading cans of paint into his truck. Lorelai's helping him. So they're ready to paint. They're going to find out when... You said, is this our first town troubadour sighting? I think so. Is it? I, I love like, the troubadour. Yeah, me too. I feel like I could have sworn we had another one, but it's who knows? I'm bad with, like, time stuff. So she suggests Friday. He's like, don't you Friday night dinner? And she's like, I can get out of it for a special occasion. It's clear that, like... Wink, wink. Like, they're both seeing it as, like, okay, maybe we're taking a step forward and changing what our relationship is. 
And then Lorelai walks away and Rory catches up with her. One of the things I do like about this episode is I feel like it does an unexpected thing with the ending. Like, you expect it to end there. Yeah. Yeah. Undress is dropped during, like, sweet, sweet. I was going to say, the next episode feels like it's a conclusion to, like, it could have been, like, the season finale. Mm -hmm. And then, like, a bunch of new arcs start up after that episode. So to me, this feels like a very like, like interesting, a like a, it feels hiatus. like a fulcrum yeah. episode. Yeah. Next episode does. So Lorelai and Rory are walking away. And as we said, this motorcycle person shows up. He's like, hey, take your top off. And Lorelai's like, what? And then he pulls his helmet off and it's Christopher. We may or may not be doing a guided meditation psychoanalysis I'll session with him. Email. Oh yeah. Do you not have notifications on? No updates. Okay. I like this introduction to Christopher. It feels very true to his character, which is annoying, but charming. Mm-hmm. And you, he should be grosser than he is. Like, Christopher's charming, and that's why he's well-written. He's like, I thought I would stop over and surprise the Gilmore Girls. So he says the title of the show in the show. It's always something I like to note. And then as we said, Rory's like, can he stay with us? And Laura's like, nah. She's not happy to see him at all, which I feel like is the dynamic I don't spend enough time thinking about. She's, like, pissed. Okay, two things. Yes. One, on this narrative thing, mm-hmm. I think every time Christopher comes, Lorelai is forced to be bad cop, which she doesn't like. Yes. And two, Sweeps was in February. It's t- 2001. You know when this episode was? February. February 22nd, 2001. Yes! Okay. I that, love being right. I think that's right, and that really validates us. Yeah, it was the last week of February. So we get the big cliffhanger mm, on sweeps, mm, and mm. then we get, like, the end of that arc the next episode. It's God, a, I'm yeah. so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we have a woman in STEM on the podcast. She can, uh, This is more, like, historic, like... No, I know. I just wanted to say woman in STEM. That's me. Women in STEM and STEM historical dating. Yeah, and then with the good cop, bad cop thing, Christopher's like, Rory, hop on. Lorelai's like, hop off, hop on, hop off. It's not annoying, somehow. And then Lorelai watches them drive away and sighs and says, Christopher... I think it's a great writing decision to, like... And scene. Yeah, to end an episode that seemed like it could have had its dynamics perfectly wrapped up mm-hmm. with this, like, interesting scene. Even mm-hmm. though, clearly, it was motivated by sweeps, I like when Gilmore Girls has interesting and weird endings, and this mm-hmm. is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. So, anything we want to say segments-wise? Was there any notable... Gilmore Girls? Well, well... Mm. L- well, any- well, just yeah. the... <laughs> did, did Emily and Richard murder the... <laughs> Did they kill that guy? They wanted to go to the vineyard. I could see if Richard pushed him down some stairs. I don't think No, Richard would never do that. But, like, for the sake of Kilmore Girls, maybe. Or maybe this guy was killed by someone else. Maybe. He, did, he was drinking. You know, maybe somebody made it look like an accident. Never know. We'll never know. Beauty, fashion. It's like kind of a pretty subdued fashion episode. Yeah, there's a few bad shirts that Lorelai wears. There's an especially bad one. She's, like, wearing this middle school orchestra, like, satin blouse. I want to go on record and say I hate those, like, button-up satin blouse. Yes, I do. And she wears them several times throughout the series, and I hate all of them. They, like, give JCPenney. Yeah. She has this one particularly repellent purple one with, like, a ruff in the front that she wears a lot This is a different one. This is a different one. Yeah, I know. And it has a little bit of a deep V for the workplace. Mm. Yeah, I know. Sometimes I'm like, well, okay. Early on in the season, it's like shorter skirts. Now it's it's deeper V's. Shall we rate the episode? I don't think I'm. I don't <laughs> think I'm humanly capable of rating. You this have episode. to rate it. You can rate it like a zero if you want. I simply don't think this this episode is just like so on a different plane from everything else that I don't think I can assess it with the same ordinal scale. That's fair. 
it's just a no for you. Yeah, it's going to be a no for me, dog. I think I'm going to give it... <sighs> All right, you're going to be mad at me. I think. I'm okay, gonna... the dialogue, like I said, the sentences are good, but the paragraphs are bad. <sighs> I like a lot of what's going on in here with the exception of the Rory plot, but I feel like the Rory plot undermines so much of what's good about the episode just by its repellentness. So I'm going to give it a six. I'm sorry, I was actually considering giving it a seven, but I think a six is the right call here. Do I think that it's as bad as, like, Paris is Burning, which is a genuinely bad episode on the level of, like, writing and stuff? No. But I think that it also has so much that I find, like, very just not consistent characterization-wise. And it feels, ironically, like, it's almost sitcom-y in that way. Like, they shoehorned a plot thing in here because they thought it would be a fun thing to do. Yeah, like with the Rory but dressing up thing. weird promo post. I would like love to see the teaser trailer for this episode. I would too. We should look it up. We can put it on our Patreon, which definitely exists. Sponsor us. Just spend it on us, guys. I know. But yeah, I think I'm going to give it a six. I'm humanly incapable of rating this episode. Fair. I have some... Uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think if I have any episodes I dislike more than some of the ones in this season. Probably not. Maybe some in like season seven. A lot of seven. season six. Yeah, season six and seven, yeah. There's some real high points in season six, too. Yeah, so this one, as much as we don't like the episode, I think was very fun to talk about, though. Mostly because of the tangents that I... Indeed. ...inadvertently brought us on. We loved going on them. And by we, I mean me and presumably our listeners. And Um, I will enjoy going on my retreat with David Sidecliffe once he responds to my type form entry. We are absolutely going to do this. If you don't Skype me in or something or let me, like, join in the background, I'm going to be really angry at you. Just have so many questions. We will get them answered, and we will have many new questions that will arise from this. Ugh. Yikes. But yeah. So thank you for ringing the bell with us as always, and that's our app.